Well, it's a real joy to be here again, back at Reunion. Uh, my wife and uh, I, my wife Rachel and I, seem to be heading to Indonesia in Southeast Asia in January. And I think because we're moving on to something new, it's been making us think an awful lot about the past and reflecting on the blessings we've known from God in these last years. And when you stop and think about it, they're just boundless, aren't they? The things that God's done for us in our lives. And certainly my testimony that beach missions has played a huge part of my own uh, development and growth as a Christian. So I just want to thank all of those of you here who've, who God's used in that process over these last years. We're very thankful indeed for all of your inputs and help and attention over the years. And we look forward to that partnership very much continuing uh, in the future. We're thinking uh, now about cross-centered relationships. So as we do that, let's begin by praying again for God's help to think about these things. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for one another. We thank you that you bring us into a family of believers, that we are united in the Lord Jesus Christ. And Lord, we pray as we, we thank you for particular people who've had an impact in our own lives. We want to give you the praise ultimately. And we want to consider not simply our relationships with, with each other, but our relationship with you, with our Saviour, the Lord Jesus Christ, without whom there'd be no relationship with others. And so we pray as we think about these themes today, you'd help us to fix our eyes on the Lord Jesus and to grow in our love for him. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. The story is told, it's not a true one, from America, of a man who was driving home from work one day. As usual, he came across a bridge, it crossed a deep ravine, a river flowing far below, and he saw someone standing on the edge looking like they were about to jump. So he gets out of his car and he he approaches the man and he says, um, are you religious? The man uh, gives a sheepish reply. He says, yes, I'm religious. The guy says, are you Protestant or Catholic? He says, Protestant. Oh, me too. He says, are you Baptist or Episcopalian? Baptist. Great. Northern Baptist or Southern Baptist? Northern Baptist. The guy, he's a bit confused what's going on, but he, he goes along with it. Northern Conservative Baptist or Northern Liberal Baptist? Northern Conservative Baptist. Wow, this is uncanny, the guy from the car says. Northern Conservative Reform Baptist or Northern Conservative Fundamentalist Baptist? Northern Conservative Reform Baptist. Amazing. We've got so much in common. Northern Conservative Reform Baptist, Great Lakes region or Northeast region? Great Lakes region. Northern Conservative Reform Baptist, Great Lakes region, Council of 1879 or Council of 1912? Council of 1912. What? Heretic! And he pushes them off the bridge. Okay? <laughs> well, that's a bit of a daft story. But, you know, there's a bit of a serious point in there somewhere, I think. The reality is, as Christians, we don't always get on, do we? We're called to be at peace with one another. We're called to love one another in front of a watching world that they might know we're Jesus' disciples. Yet at times we find ourselves divided from each other. Sometimes that division is necessary, isn't it? The New Testament makes that very plain. There can never really be true unity with people who've rejected the gospel of Jesus. There's no point in pretending otherwise. But the reality is we often fall out over far more trivial matters, don't we? I've not been a pastor for that long. But one of the saddest parts of my work, apart from seeing people reject the gospel of Jesus or walking away from Jesus, one of the saddest things... It's seeing Christians who love Jesus tearing each other apart. 
It happens, doesn't it? Some of you here this weekend know that all too well. Perhaps you're sick in the stomach because you sit there right now because of a relationship that's broken down with another Christian. Maybe even someone else in this very room. And you do anything to see that relationship put right again. And then there'll be others of you here who, if you're really honest, well, you've, you've just given up hope that anything can really change in that relationship that broke down. Maybe many years ago, you've not spoken to that person for ages. Difficult to know really why it's come to this, but they're not budging, so why should you? And perhaps there are still others of you who are getting on while it seems very well with your Christian brothers and sisters. Praise God if that's the case. But, you know, inevitably, at some point in your Christian experience, whether it's on a beach team or in your CU or at church, you're going to bump into this issue. And when you do, what are you going to do then? What are we to do when we find our relationships with others in a mess? I'm going to head to Acts in a moment, but I want us to start out in the Old Testament, in the book of Micah. And Micah chapter 4, if you've got a Bible, please do turn there. See, in Micah chapter 4, we've got a wonderful picture of a future we, we hardly dare imagine. A picture of relationships that are restored on a, on a global scale. Just listen to this. Speaking about the nations, the Lord says through Micah, in Micah chapter 4, reading halfway through verse 3. They will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not take up sword against nation, nor will they train for war anymore. Every man will sit under his own vine and under his own fig tree, a sign of peace and security. And no one will make them afraid, for the Lord Almighty has spoken. It's a picture of relationships restored once and for all, a picture really of world peace. This is the thing that musicians have been singing about for generations, that politicians have been talking about for generations, yet the thing they've never really been able to bring about. People from every nation, from every background, living in harmony with each other. And yet here it is in God's word as a reality, the thing that nobody else can bring about. And we ask ourselves, how is it possible for relationships to really look like this on such a global scale? Well, it's crucial we understand the context in which these words are written. And we see that in the first two verses of Micah chapter 4. Let's take a look at those. In the last days, the mountain of the Lord's temple will be established as chief among the mountains. It will be raised above the hills and peoples will stream to it. Many nations will come and say, come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways so that we may walk in his paths. Now friends, we've got to grasp this. We've got to grasp the order of events here in Micah chapter 4. You see, we're taught here that the nations will never be at peace with each other until they're at peace with God, until they walk in his ways. People will never be at peace with one another until they're at peace with God. Where does that peace come from? You flick over to Micah chapter 5. We're told of one still to come. One to be born in Bethlehem. Who, verse 4, we read about as follows. He will stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and they will live securely. For then his greatness will reach to the ends of the earth, and he will be their peace. 
How is this peace with God that leads to peace with others brought about? Well, only through the death on the cross of the Lord Jesus, the good shepherd who laid down his life for the sheep. He can be our peace. Friends, until we're at peace with him, we can never be at peace truly with anybody else. But then we say, well, for those of us who are Christians, what are we to do when we find that relationships with others are in a mess? Because we have trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, friends, we're to come back to our relationship with Jesus. Because it's only through him that we can ever be at peace with others. So let's do that now in the time we have this morning. Let's come back to our relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ and then consider our relationships with others in the context of that. We often get very familiar with things in life, don't we? So familiar that we begin to take them for granted. My wife Rachel and I were reminded of that. We took a trip to Indonesia in preparation for a longer term return. And uh, well, when you're taken out of your normal circumstances, it's a really good reminder, a really sharp reminder of the things you take for granted about life back home. Some things are more serious than others. We've got a KFC theme just developing today. Amazing. Because, you know, in Indonesia, you head down to KFC and you order, as you do, as as Frosty would do on our Bournemouth teams anyway, most days, a Colonel's original recipe chicken meal. Very tasty. But in Indonesia, there it comes and it's it's totally doused with hot chilli sauce. Not just a small bit of chilli on the side, but the kind of dousing where all you can taste is chillies. They might as well just give you a chilli and let the chicken live (laughs) to fight another day. You see, we take for granted we can turn up at KFC in England and just, just order a nice chicken burger. There are more serious examples. Being able to turn the tap on and drink the water that comes out of it without worrying you're going you're to catch some terrible tropical illness. Or just being able to speak to people in your own language and being understood. But of course, it's not just things that can be taken for granted. You know, people can be taken for granted as well, can't they? There's the cook on your beach mission team, slaving away all afternoon while the rest of the team are out having some free time. Yet when dinner's served, there's not a word of thanks to the cook from some of the team. To be taken for granted like that, it's not pleasant, is it? It kind of sticks in the throat, you just feel a bit used. Yet you know, friends, our, our main passage for today, Acts chapter 8, it forces us to ask a very uncomfortable question, and it's this. Are you taking someone for granted and not just anyone have you begun to take for granted the most precious person and the most wonderful gift that this world has ever known please open your Bibles to Acts 8 if you're not there already the gospel's on the move in this part of the book of Acts you read Acts chapter 1 and verse 8 and we're told Jesus says the gospel is going to go from Jerusalem to Judea, to Samaria, to the very ends of the earth. It's already been in Jerusalem. It's already gone to Judea. The beginning of chapter 8, it's in Samaria. And so the scene is set for the gospel then to go to the ends of the earth. And in chapter 8, verse 26, we see that Philip is sent by God to meet a man on the road to Gaza. What are we told about this man? Have a look with me at verse 27. So he, that is Philip, started out, and on his way he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians. He's an important man, a black African, 
from, Ethi uh, from Ethiopia. He's the Chancellor of the Exchequer. Why is he on the road? Verse 27. The man had gone to Jerusalem to worship. It's a long way to go from Ethiopia to Jerusalem. And on his way home, he was sitting in his chariot reading the book of Isaiah, the prophet. Here's a sincere man. He's travelled miles to worship in Jerusalem. He's searching the scriptures to find out the truth about God. And in verse 30, we see that Philip asks him a question. Do you understand what you're reading? Philip asked. You know, this guy's obviously knowledgeable. You don't get to be Chancellor of the Exchequer uh, if you're a bit daft. But he doesn't know it all, does he? Look at verse 31. How can I understand, he said, unless someone explains it to me? Verse 34, tell me please, who is the prophet talking about? Himself or someone else? Verse 35, and Philip began with that very passage of scripture and began, sorry, and told him the good news about Jesus. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter and as a lamb before the shearer is silent so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken. From the earth. And so this Ethiopian guy, he hears the message of salvation through Jesus. And we get to verse 36. He's clearly believed for himself and the Lord Jesus. He sees some water and he says, look, here is water. Why shouldn't I be baptized? Or as the new version of the NIV puts it, what can stand in the way of my being baptized? Why shouldn't I? What can stand in my way? And I guess if you've been around church for any time, you hear a question like that and you think, well, nothing. Praise the Lord, just get on with it. It's no big deal. If you want to become a Christian, if you want to get baptized, you just go for it. All of which brings us back to the question we had a moment ago. Can I ask you, what do you make of the question here in verse 36? You know, if the possibility of that question doesn't absolutely amaze you, then perhaps it is true that you started to take the Saviour Jesus for granted and the salvation that he offers for granted. And perhaps you and I need to rediscover what a precious and most amazing and wonderful Saviour he really is. You know, we live in a culture, don't we, where we're told we can do anything, that everything is in our reach, everything's possible. And I guess the, you know, the, the feeling in the UK over the Olympic season, the Paralympic season, has, has added to that way of thinking. If you dream big dreams, they can come true. If you work hard enough, you can have the thing that you want. And that way of thinking really has been epitomised, I guess, in recent years by the advertising slogan Adidas used for a while, where they said, impossible is nothing. Impossible is nothing. And I guess we know what they're getting at. It's quite inspiring in a way, isn't it? There are loads of things you can do, if only you'll put your mind to it. Inspiring perhaps, yet in reality, if we're honest, it's a load of rubbish, isn't it? Because of course at times impossible can be everything. Because there are some things that no matter how much we dream about them, no matter how hard we try to reach out and grasp hold of them, they remain elusive. They're out of reach. They're impossible to get hold of. There are some things... We just cannot do. Why shouldn't I be baptised? What can stand in the way? Said the Ethiopian eunuch. You know, before this man met Philip, 
and heard the gospel message about Jesus, there were plenty of things that stood in that man's way. For a start, he was a eunuch. That is, he'd either been castrated or was impotent. That didn't just have social consequences for this man. No, you're reading Deuteronomy. It had spiritual consequences. No need to turn there, but Deuteronomy 23 and verse 1, you read this. No one who has been emasculated by crushing or cutting may enter the assembly of the Lord. So it's all very well for this man to go on this huge journey from Ethiopia to Jerusalem. But when he got to the temple, he would have been excluded from worship. What stood in his way? Not only was he a eunuch, he was an Ethiopian, a foreigner, a Gentile, someone regarded by the Jews as on the outside of the kingdom of God. What could stand in his way? And well, of course, he would have discovered as Philip opened the scriptures there in Isaiah that he was a sinner. He was someone who, like a sheep, had gone astray. He'd wandered off from the living God. He'd broken God's commands. He'd lived for himself. What could stand in his way? You know, before the Ethiopian met Philip and heard the gospel message, there were plenty of things that stood in the way for the sinful Gentile eunuch. And what of us? What can stand in the way of a right relationship with God? What can stand in the way of being saved, of being forgiven? My friend, before you came to Jesus, there were things that stood in your way. You read on in Isaiah from the passage that's quoted. And you come to Isaiah 59. What stood in your way? Isaiah 59 verse 2. Your iniquities have separated you from God. Your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear. For your hands are stained with blood. Your fingers with guilt. Your lips have spoken lies and your tongue mutters wicked things. My friend, what stood in your way of being saved, of being forgiven? The Bible says your sin, it stood in the way. And your guilt, it stood in the way. And your separation from God, it stood in the way. And when it comes to those things, impossible is absolutely everything. Because the Bible says there is nothing that we can do to sort out these problems ourselves. Romans 8 verse 7, the mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. So my Christian friend, I have to ask you, have you been taking Jesus for granted? Have you forgotten the position you were in before you were saved? It was an impossible situation. Forgiveness, salvation, reconciliation with God, a new heart, eternal life. They were totally out of your reach. Before you met Jesus. Yet could it be now you've become so familiar with the salvation that Jesus offers. It's just no big deal to you anymore. Relative to other people, maybe you look at them and you think, well, I kind of deserved it anyway. Have you been taking Jesus for granted? Or maybe there are one or two of you here this weekend who are not yet Christians. Perhaps you're like the lad I was at uni with. He was called Guy. He was really familiar with Christian things. He'd been brought up going along to church. He said he knew it was all true. But he wouldn't believe it. Because there were too many things he wanted to experience in life first. Maybe when he was older, he said, he would turn to Jesus. But of course, unless something dramatic changed in his life, he'd do no such thing. Because there were things that stood in his way. He was taking Jesus 
for granted. My friend, you see, when it comes to salvation, impossible is everything. So praise God for the words of Jesus who says, what is impossible with man is possible with God. We've mentioned Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch from our passage today, but you know, as you read this, this portion of scripture time after time, you soon see that neither Philip nor the Ethiopian eunuch is the key player in this story. Now that role is taken well and truly by God himself. Verse 26, it is God who sends out Philip to the Gaza road. Verse 27, it is God who arranges for Philip to meet the Ethiopian. In verses 32 and 33, we see that God is the one who has prepared the message because he has sent his son, the Lord Jesus, into this earth. The eunuch was reading this passage of scripture, verse 32. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before the shearer is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. The eunuch asked Philip, tell me please, who is the prophet talking about, himself or someone else? Then Philip began with that very passage of scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. Jesus, the Lamb of God. Jesus, the one who was slain. Jesus, the one on whom our iniquity was laid. Jesus, the one who would justify many and bring us back to God You know, in verse 35, we're told that Philip began with that very passage of scripture as he explained the good news of Jesus. Therefore, it's not beyond the realms of possibility that he could have looked further down that scroll from the prophecy of Isaiah and come to Isaiah 56. A passage which for this Ethiopian eunuch would have explained the consequences of Jesus' work for the things that stood in his way. I want you to turn there, please, because this passage is simply outstanding. Isaiah chapter 56. And as you read these verses, I want you to have in mind this Ethiopian eunuch. And I want you to have in mind the things that stood in his way before he heard the message about Jesus. I want you to have in mind the fact he was excluded because he was a eunuch. And he was excluded because he was a Gentile. And he was excluded because he was a sinner. Isaiah 56 and verse 1. This is what the Lord says. Maintain justice and do what is right. For my salvation is close at hand and my righteousness will soon be revealed. Blessed is the man who does this, the man who holds it fast, who keeps the Sabbath without desecrating it and keeps his hand from doing any evil. Let no foreigner who has bound himself to the Lord say, the Lord will surely exclude me from his people. And let let not any eunuch complain, I am only a dry tree. For this is what the Lord says to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths, who choose what pleases me, and hold fast to my covenant, to them I will give within my temple and its walls a memorial and a name better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that will not be cut off, and foreigners who bind themselves to the Lord to serve him, to love the name of the Lord and to worship him, all who keep the Sabbath without desecrating it, and who hold fast to my covenants, these I will bring to my holy mountain and give them joy in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and sacrifices will be accepted on my altar. For my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations. Now imagine being that foreign, Gentile, sinful eunuch and hearing those words of acceptance and love. You see, this is why this foreign, sinful eunuch could be, sorry, could see the water 
And he could stop the carriage. And he could say, why shouldn't I be baptized? What can stand in the way? Answer now, because of Jesus, nothing. Nothing can stand in his way any longer. Because God, through his son Jesus, had made it possible for every barrier to be removed. For the relationship with God to be established forever. And so in verse 38 of Acts chapter 8, we see this new man, now a believer, now included, with nothing standing in his way, going down into the water to be baptized. And in verse 39, going on his way rejoicing. A saved man. Friends, what stood in your way of being forgiven and of being saved? We heard it earlier. That until you came to Jesus, your sin it stood in the way. And until you came to Jesus, your guilt, it stood in the way. And until you came to Jesus, your separation from God, it stood in the way. Yet through his death on the cross, Jesus has blown those barriers right away. The Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all. So our sin could be forgiven. By his death, Jesus justified many so our guilt could be removed. Jesus himself died to be our peace. So our relationship with God could be restored once and for all. God, through the death of his son, the Lord Jesus, has done everything so that you might be saved. My friend, do not take that gift for granted. And do not take his son for granted any longer. And if you're not a Christian, don't think it a small thing that you can be saved. Come to Jesus. Confess your sin. Believe in the Lord Jesus and you, like the Ethiopian eunuch, will be saved. You who are excluded currently can be included. And you can go on your way, even this very day, rejoicing. Knowing that nothing now stands in your way. Well, as we close, I want to speak again to, the, I guess, the majority of us here this morning who are Christians. In light of what we've been reminded about our relationship with God through Jesus, we return to where we started. What of those relationships with others that aren't what they ought to be? What are we to do when we find our relationships with others in a bit of a mess? Well, let me say two things very briefly as we close. First, Jesus gives us the power to see broken relationships restored. We've just talked about the way that the death of Jesus blew away every barrier that stood between us and God. But you know, they're not the only barriers that were removed by the death of Jesus on the cross. As we close, come to Ephesians. Book of Ephesians in chapter 2. In Ephesians 2, Paul is speaking about peoples that have been divided by ethnicity for generations. He's speaking really of the Jews and the Gentiles. And in Ephesians 2, verse 13, Paul says this. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near through the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by abolishing in his flesh the law with its commandments and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new man out of the two thus making peace, and in this one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, 
by which he put to death their hostility. If you find yourself in a difficult relationship with another Christian, never give up. Through Jesus' death, he has removed every barrier that might divide us from our Christian brothers and sisters. We are united in the Lord Jesus. We are one. Whatever things might look like, that is the reality because of what Jesus has done for us. And so the only barriers that remain between us are the barriers that we choose to put up ourselves. I need to say this gently because I know for some of you this will be a very real and painful situation that you face. But you know, some of you need to come out from behind your barriers. Yes, I realise that on this side of heaven there will always be strained relationships. Yes, this issue is very complicated and never easy. But you need to realise and you need to believe that in Jesus there is the power for relationships to be transformed. That change is possible. Jesus gives us the power to see broken relationships restored. And secondly, Jesus is the pattern to see broken relationships restored. As we finish, come with me to Ephesians chapter 4, just over the page. Paul is speaking about what it means to live a life worthy of the Lord. And he's very honest about the relational difficulties there are between Christians. I mean, he's not immune to them himself, is he? You can read about that in Acts 15. In Acts, uh, sorry, Ephesians 4, we'll pick it up in verse 29. Paul writes this. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you are sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another. Forgiving each other just as in Christ. God forgave you. If you find yourself in a relationship that is broken down with a Christian brother or sister, friend, you've got to ask the difficult question. Have I been taking my relationship with Jesus for granted? Have I forgotten all that he did to remove those barriers that stood in my way? Have I forgotten what it was for him to go to the cross? Have I forgotten his love and his compassion and his mercy and his kindness? Have I forgotten his patience and forbearance with me that he goes on forgiving me when I keep falling into sin? Friends, if you've forgotten those things, remember them. Remember Jesus. And if you've been taking him for granted, treasure him. Treasure him once again. Because it is only through Jesus that we can ever be at peace with others. And it is only when our, when our relationship with Jesus is what it ought to be that our relationships with, relationships with others can truly be restored. Forgive each other just as in Christ. God forgave you. Cross-centered relationships. Jesus gives us the power. And Jesus is our pattern. Let's pray.
Be kind and compassionate to one another. Forgiving each other just as in Christ. God forgave you. Our Father, we pray you forgive us. For the times in our lives when we become far too familiar with the wonderful things that you've done for us. We pray you forgive us for the fact that too often we take for granted that you removed every barrier that stood in the way of us having a relationship with you. We praise you for your work that you did out of love to save a people for yourself that includes sinful people like ourselves. And we pray as we consider our relationships with others that are often difficult, that they will be influenced and changed primarily by what we know of what the Lord Jesus Christ has done for us. We pray for any here today who are facing particular difficulties in this area, while we recognise the pain that's involved and the complexity of, of these matters at times. We pray, please, you give grace and help each one to forgive as they've been forgiven and to call to mind what it is that the Lord Jesus Christ has done for them. Not only removing the barriers that existed between them and God, but removing the barriers that exist between them and others. Lord, we are united in the Lord Jesus by faith. We are one. So help us please to come out from behind our barriers and to forgive one another as we have been forgiven. And we pray in Jesus' name.